You're tuned in to KCIA Radio, CalArts' student-run freeform radio station. Due to the government restrictions related to the COVID-19 outbreak, KCIA's broadcast studio is no longer accessible. What you are hearing is a remote broadcast from one of our DJs. As a student-run, non-commercial radio station, KCIA supports the free expression of ideas. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers or artists only and do not necessarily reflect the views of KCIA management, staff, or CalArts. Please direct your comments to KCIA at alum.calarts.edu. Payne, Magic Lantern Show. Welcome, welcome to the Magic Lantern Show on the radio. Uh, good evening. My name is Matthew Pagoga, and I'll be your host for this hour. Uh, and every Friday hour from 7 to 8 p.m. for the fall. So this is kind of a soft opening of the Magic Lantern show in that I just signed up for the show last week, so I haven't had a lot of time to put together a full program for you. But that doesn't mean we're just going to waste the hour. We're going to do kind of a, a clip show tonight. If you remember those old Simpsons episodes where it wasn't actually a plot line, it was just kind of just clips of old episodes, for instance. Uh, that's what we're doing tonight. How can you do a clip show on your first show on here, you might ask? Well, I guess you'll just have to stay tuned and find out. And the way this will work is I'm going to split this into two half-hour segments. Um, and you'll see the definition between the two. Uh, the first being kind of a retrospective and a clip show, as I mentioned, and the second, talking about some current events and some things that need to be discussed. So it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure here. Stay tuned for the Magic Lantern Show retrospective stuff, half hour in, topics of the day. I'd like to take a moment and just kind of introduce myself. I'm Matthew Pagoga. I'm an artist author, filmmaker, uh, apparently radio host, and I am an MFA2 candidate in the Art and Technology program at California Institute of the Arts, which is kind of why I'm here. As for the show, the show has been around, the Magic Lantern show has been around since 2009, um, really kind of kicked off in 2010, and what I conceived it to be was a live stage talk show channeling Dick Cavett's kind of crosstalk programming on art and politics and culture. <clears throat> and I wanted to bring some of that energy and that kind of even neutrality uh, into a conversation where you just kind of build this platform for a conversation and you just kind of let it unfold without too much guidance or, or without, you know, too much interference and just kind of letting it happen. Uh, I think there's a great spontaneity to that that we've kind of lost in a lot of media uh, today. It, it feels very curated, and even when it feels like there is crosstalk allowed, it feels very uh, falsely antagonistic. Uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same to me as an honest conversation. So I thought maybe we would do some of those honest conversations on here. So we're seeking guests of all types. Uh, we're looking for artists, we're looking for musicians, uh, comedians, chefs, uh, scientists, mm, basket weavers maybe. Uh, you know, whatever it is, we'd love to have you on a program in the future. So please reach out. I say we, but it's really me. So Please reach out. Uh, you can do so at magiclanternco at gmail.com. That's magiclanternco at gmail.com. Tell your friends, and, and we're going to put together some really good shows. I'm going to put together some really good shows, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, bear with me here. We're getting to the good stuff, I promise. Uh, I wanted to explain a little bit about just the history of the Magic Lantern Show and, again, why why I can do a clip show as the first program here on KCIA. So the Magic Lantern Show started at a place called the Project Lodge in Madison, Wisconsin. The Project Lodge is a 
little kind of room <laughs> with a little elevated stage. Uh, I can't. I say little just because it's small, uh, not little in you know in terms of reach or stature. Sufjan Stevens played the Project Lodge, uh, so we we had a really good rapport with the people there, and in terms of pitching them the show and and then being interested in it. So we did our first show there. Uh, I think it was some sometime in two thousand nine, late two thousand nine. And it was, in many ways, one of our more successful shows. Our guests for the night were Alex Schaff of Yellow Ostrich and All the Tiny Creatures, uh, musical guests. And we opened with a performance from Alex Schaff, uh, again, of Yellow Ostrich, which they've now disbanded, I understand. Um, But they were a phenomenal band, and Alex Schaff was a phenomenal musician, uh, working with a looping pedal, a drum, and a guitar, he performed the song Whale for us. So I think there's no better way I can think of to commemorate kicking off the Magic Lantern show again here 10, 11 years later than having Alex Schaff play Whale for us once more to kick us off. So without further ado, uh, Whale by Alex Schaff. Yellow Ostrich.
wasn't that just phenomenal? Uh, it's just, I love that song. And it, it really, it set the mood in 2009. And I, I think it sets the mood here again today. Hey, we're going to do something uh, that we'll also do every, every week here. And I'm going to take a short ad break. Now, before you clench up, uh, know that we're actually not sponsored by anybody in particular. Uh, part of the vintage o- homage flair that we're going to do with the Channeling the Dip Cabot show is we're going to play some vintage advertisements here. Uh, so don't be alarmed. We don't fully endorse this capitalist world and society. We're just living in it. So we'll be right back after this. work hard, don't they, Barney? Yeah. I hate to see them work so hard. Yeah, me too. Um, let's go around back where we can't see them. Gee, we ought to do something, Fred. Okay. How's about taking a nap? I, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. That's it. Winston is the one filter cigarette that delivers flavor 20 times a pack. Winston's got that filter blend. Yeah, Fred. Filter blend makes the big taste difference, and only Winston has it up front where it counts. Here, ahead of the pure white filter, Winston packs rich tobaccos specially selected and specially processed for good flavor in filter smoking. Yeah, Barney, Winston tastes good, like a cigarette chug. The Flintstone has been brought to you by Winston. America's best-selling, best-tasting filter cigarette. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. <laughs> thank you, uh, Fred Flintstone, and thank you to Winston Cigarettes. Um, I'm probably running afoul of some sort of uh, broadcasting law or something by running that but you know what that's the kind of risks that i'm willing to take for you guys that's yeah that's just the kind of person i am no i am i a hero who's to say um anyway i think it is funny that the flintstones you know very quickly transitioned from selling cigarettes to selling vitamin supplements you know think on that So where were we? Where are we? What's happening? We were talking about the Magic Lantern show, and I actually lied to you because I said that the first show was the Magic Lantern show at the Project Lodge, but the actual first show was on the radio. So this is kind of full circle. We were on WSUM in Madison, Wisconsin, and I I did an hour there, um, and I thought maybe just for funsies, uh, I'll, I'll play just a short clip of that. I really want you to pay attention to one thing. Um, not only has the style changed a little bit, but I want you to really listen to the accent that uh, that I had ten years ago. Apparently, well, let me first let me first tell you a little bit about my background and the show's background, because you know. I don't want you to be listening to a stranger. I want to be like an old friend, you know, in your home. Um, so as for me, uh, I was adopted from birth. Um, I was raised in the wild by, by three-toed slaws in the Brazilian rainforest. Um, I'm still top of my game at hanging upside down from trees. I'm like the master. So I slept. <laughs> um, stick with it. We'll, we'll get through it. I slept my way through most of high school, naturally, um, and then I attended, I attended all the best colleges. I spent like a few years at Harvard, you know, with Conan O'Brien, half decade at Yale, um, Hogwarts, I was at Hogwarts for a while, it's a good time, and um, the best schools. And so, anyway, and I earned a, I earned a doctorate in radiology, so... Naturally, I'm very qualified to be on the radio. <laughs> the snickering you hear there is my, was my guests and collaborators for the show. Uh, but listen to that accent. 
my God, that's real. I'm I'm not putting that on in that in that clip. I, you know, Conan O'Brien. You know, you know, you know. It's crazy. Anyway, how does that happen? So getting back to my retelling the history, a verbal history of the Magic Lantern show. We did several shows at the Project Lodge and really enjoyed our time there. Uh, but it became time eventually to kind of move up to a, a larger venue. And we did that at the High Noon Saloon in, again, in Madison, Wisconsin. The High Noon Saloon is a great bar, a great venue. It's it's really big um, and just just fantastic high ceilings, kind of a, a double le- level so you could sit up on a balcony and look down or you could sit, sit low. Um, but that was great, and we had a lot of fun there. Uh, we had a show with uh, Kate Shanahan and the girls and Chef Gregory Walters. Um, so, you know, we did that, uh, and then the show moved to New York, and uh, we were at the Mercury Lounge in New York, uh, and we did shows there, and that that was an interesting kind of dynamic um, to be in. Uh, very different, obviously, from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, the, the two felt uh, very different. And in New York, our last show there, uh, I'm kind of skipping around a lot, but our, our last show there at the Mercury Lounge in New York uh, was great. We did. Uh, we had the Short Sleeves were our musical guests. They were a chiptune band. And you'd be forgiven if you didn't know the term chiptune. Uh, I'll just briefly explain. Uh, chiptune referring to the manipulation of chips of as in microchips uh and people like as in the short sleeves played with a modified game boy so they had this this game boy that they modified to play the sounds uh that a game boy makes uh and video game sounds and they play with these kind of manipulated electronics to make music and You'll, you'll hear what I mean. So let's just play it. Uh, we've got the Short Sleeves playing their song that they played for us at the Magic Lantern Show at the Mercury Lounge in New York. Rabbit Feet by the Short Sleeves.
child. Oh, man. So we we had that uh, we had the short sleeves perform, and we also had another guest um, who you may have heard of. We'll talk a little bit more about that guest here in a minute, but we're going to take another short ad break. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Let's talk about you a little bit. How are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling as good as we feel today? I sincerely hope so. But I'd especially like to talk to you housewives and mothers, and you're really busy gals that, that just keep going all the time. Sometimes as you go about your daily routine, you get the feeling that you just don't have enough energy to finish out the day. Well, if you do feel that way, or anybody in your family feels that way, don't just ignore it and wait for it to go away. It's a better idea to check with your doctor. Because remember, that weak, rundown condition may be due to undernourished blood. Doctors have a special name for it. They call it iron deficiency anemia. But we call it tired blood. And to feel stronger fast, I wish you'd give Geritol a try. This is the fast-acting, high-potency tonic that we've been telling you so much about that really begins to strengthen iron-poor, tired blood in just 24 hours. That's all it takes just one day for Geritol iron to be in your bloodstream, carrying strength and energy to every part of your body. And just two tablespoons, just this little bit, contains twice the iron in a pound of calf's liver. And it's good tasting, too. So if you do feel weak and run down, or if anybody in your family complains of similar problems, get Geritol, either the liquid or the tablets, at your drugstore today. You'll feel stronger fast in seven days or your money back. Just be sure that you get what you ask for, Geritol, G-E-R-I-T-O-L. Believe me, you will feel stronger fast. And two, don't forget, mothers, you can get Geritol Junior. It's just as effective for your children as regular Geritol is for you. Robert P. Soup Anderson, and here with me are the non-identical twins, Happy and Pee Wee. Hiya, Hiya soup fans, soup fans everywhere. everywhere. The gentlemen here are going to demonstrate how we split peas for our soup rather than crush them and lose the flavor. You notice the other intricate machinery, the, the pea soup, or the pea sorter. And I thought so, that one was a dud. That's right, an automatic, automatic reject, reject feature, feature of the uh, machine. Now, unlike some uh, soup manufacturers, we're not much interested in how many cans we can crank out every minute, but more in how good our soup is. In fact, when my friends say to me, Robert P. Soup Anderson, how come no one else could you can soups with real delicious homemade flavor, I tell them it's because of an extra ingredient in every can. And that ingredient is time. It's in my delicious split pea, beef burger, cream of chicken, or old-fashioned bean soup. Try, Try some, some today. Tonight. Today. A week from Tuesday. A week from Tuesday. I love that. <laughs> and did you recognize the voice of the woman in the Geritol ad? That was none other than Betty White. Uh, talking about calves liver and... <laughs> gotta drink your Geritol. Or your Geritol Jr., uh, you know, depending on your age. So thank you to our sponsors there. We were talking before the break about our other guest at the last show at the Mercury Lounge in New York City. That guest was Kevin Barnett. Some of you may know that name. Kevin Barnett was an actor, comedian, and just a, an amazingly funny person. You know, there's those people that are just, they're so funny. And, and, and Kevin Barnett was one of those people. I first met him at the Wonderland Art Collective. Uh, I was living there, and a friend put on an uh, improv kind of comedy show, and Kevin Barnett performed. And his set was something I've just never seen, because he, he started talking right away about the video game StarCraft, but he wasn't making jokes. He was just talking about this video game that he obviously knows a lot about and talking about, uh, you know, don't you hate it when you're setting up your Protoss base in StarCraft and you're trying to get your pylons set up, but the Zerg keep, com keep coming and blowing up your pylons. And, and it wasn't funny. It was just very, like, dry and just kind of talking about a video game. But then 
he started, you know, he switched and he was telling some jokes. But any time a joke would fall flat or didn't go over the way that he obviously expected, he would kind of pause and then just go back to talking about StarCraft. You know, oh, and, and another thing about StarCraft, don't you hate when, when you know, you're setting up your Terran base and you're trying to get it all established and then they, you know, the Zerg come in again and, and ruin everything. And he kept doing this and... By the by, the third time that he was switching to talk about StarCraft, those were the moments that were just killing in the audience. Everyone was just cracking up and laughing just hysterically at just these anti-jokes about StarCraft. Anyway, I asked him to perform on the Magic Lantern show, and he was enthusiastic about that and came on the show and was so funny. So I, I thought we'd play a little bit of uh, Kevin Barnett here for you. So he, here he, he is doing what he did best and just being hilarious. <laughs> Stuff's been uh, weird for me lately. I all of a sudden realized the other day that I wasn't who I thought I was. None of my dreams had come true. I went to this costume party and I realized that being black severely limits your costume options. <laughs> like just for once, I want to be able to go to a costume party dressed as Wolverine and not black Wolverine. <laughs> Tired of this, man. That happened this past Halloween. I was all excited. I'm like, yo, I'm about to dress as Wolverine. I'm going to this costume shop, get these claws. It's going to be so freaking cool. I get to the costume shop. I get to where the claws are at, and the claws got white knuckles on them for no reason. <laughs> I was faced with the choice of either black facing these knuckles or going to the same costume as I go as every year. Blade. And I don't even like Blade, but this is real life. There's no time for crying. Stresses me out, man. Like I said, just a hilariously funny person and so patient and kind in my business dealings with him. Just kind of super professional. And he passed away a few years ago at the age of 32, suddenly from pancreatitis, and it's tragic. So, there's not much to say other than just what a good person. And since there's not much else to say, maybe maybe I won't. And I'll just uh, let Alex Schaff and Yellow Ostrich play us another. Until I disappear by Yellow Ostrich.
remember you, 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 remember you. I said at the beginning of this hour that I was going to split the show in two and reserve the second half for discussion of the things that we need to talk about. And I'm, of course, referring to the lack of charges brought against Breonna Taylor's killers. That news has rocked the country this week. It has saddened so many and just re-traumatized communities of color and beyond. And I think we need to make space in all areas of our media to be talking about this and to be talking about the injustice of this. And I'm not going to do that as eloquently as needs to be done. But I do know someone who can. So I'm going to play a clip here. And it is a long clip, but I think you'll find it captivating and just so well put and so relevant, certainly, to everything that's going on. And so this clip is James Baldwin appearing on The Dick Cavett Show. I do want to mention here that you will hear Cavett being a bit of an antagonist, certainly, um, and perhaps trying to voice some conservative pushback of the time. He does that a lot. He, he, he I find he did that a lot in his interviews where he kind of positions himself as the antagonist or heel. And he'll, so you'll, you'll hear him doing that. But I think what you'll mostly hear is James Baldwin perfectly summing up the issues of our time in the 60s. And how insane is that? So without further ado, uh, James Baldwin and Dick Kevitt. Mr. Baldwin, I... I, I'm sure you still meet the uh, remark that um, what are the Negroes, why aren't they optimistic? Um, and I, again, I apologize and preface this by the phrase the Negroes because it lumps together an awful lot of people. Um, you and um, Floyd McKissick and um, Madam Clayton Powell and Hattie McDaniel and Jackie Robinson and uh, it's impossible, I suppose, to eat. But for want of a better phrase, if you'll allow me, uh, they say, but it's getting so much better. There are Negro mayors. There's Negroes in all, all of sports. Uh, there are Negroes in, in politics. They're, uh, uh, they're even courted the ultimate accolade of being in television commercials now. And, um, I'm glad you're smiling. Uh, is it at once getting much better and still hopeless? Well, I don't think there's much hope for it, you know, to tell you the truth. You know, as long as people are using this peculiar language. It's what I was trying to convey before when I said that it's not a question of what happens to the, to the Negro here. 
to the black man here? That's a, that's a very vivid question for me, you know. But, it, but the real question is, what's going to happen to this country? I have to repeat that. Now, if the Negroes, you know, don't seem to be very optimistic, it's not because they suddenly all changed from happy, shift, you know, shiftless, dancing darkies down on the levee, picking all that cotton and singing praises to the master. Mm -hmm. They've not changed at all. They never were optimistic. All one's got to do is listen to Swing Low Sweet Chariot and ask yourself what that song's about. Or try to li really listen to what Ray Charles is really telling you. We have lived under these intolerable conditions for how many years? Nearly 400 years. We have evolved a certain kind of style to meet it. And a lot of that has been involved with the lies we had to tell to you. And uh, the lies we had to tell to you, this compounds the disaster you believe because you wanted to believe it. But obviously, obviously you knew, every white man knows, that he did not, he would not himself know lying track for nothing. He would not himself allow his child to be sold from him as though the child were a mule. He would not himself allow himself not to have the autonomy of his own house and his own woman. He would not himself pick all that cotton and carry it to market just because he loved white people. We all know that. And the word Negro in this country really is designed finally to disguise the fact that one is talking about another man, a man like you, who wants what you want. And insofar as the American Republic wants to think there has been progress, they overlook one very simple thing. I don't want to be given anything by you. I just want you to leave me alone so I can do it myself. And it also overlooks another very important thing. Perhaps I don't think that this republic is the summit of human civilization. Perhaps I don't want to become like Ronald Reagan or like the president of General Motors. Perhaps I have another sense of life, which in fact my situation here has forced me to trust. And perhaps I know more about you and your institutions than you know about me. And perhaps I have a judgment on them. Perhaps I don't want what you think I want. And that there's nothing you can give me. Perhaps there is something that I can give you. Where do you stand in relation to the Negro figures in our in the media that we see who frighten us the most, um, and maybe some of you the most, um, the ones who want to burn it down, um, demolish it, the ones who have totally given up? I assume you haven't totally given up. Well, I'm still alive. There's still breath in me. And so as long as breath is in me, I will never give up. But if you think that Rap Brown, you're referring to Rap really, and Stoke and Stokely, are, are something new, you know, I refer you back to an old, old song. No one even knows who wrote it. And it's supposed to be spiritual. It's supposed to be about, you know, a Christian church, but it really is a slave revolt song. The man says, if I had my way, if I had my way, little children, Great God, if I had my way, I'd tear this building down. It is not new for me. We've always felt that. It is new for you. And if, if we were white, if we were Irish, if we were Jewish, if we were Poles, if we had, in fact, in your mind, a frame of reference, our heroes would be your heroes too. Nat Turner would be a hero for you instead of a threat. Malcolm X might still be alive. It is that you can face, in some ways, the discontent of white people when they rise, they are heroes. And it, you know, everyone is very proud of brave little Israel, a state against which I have nothing. You know, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I'm not an anti-Semite. But you know, when the Israelis pick up guns, or the Poles, or the Irish, or any white man in the world mm -hmm. says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, word for word, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. Now, you can do this if you like, you know, until, until your party is over. But I know, after all, who my heroes are. And George Washington is not one of my heroes, for example. Neither is Booker T. Washington. What the American public has always tried to do is to accommodate me into a system which is always meant to my death. 
They want me to become an accomplice to my own murder. That is what you really mean by integration. Uh, that's impressive. I didn't understand it. That last sentence. Sobri Carmichael says, and he's quite right, that integration is a euphemism for white supremacy. The truth is that we have been integrated here since we got here. You know, that is not what the battle is at all. If Negroes in this country arrange from every color under heaven, from yours to mine, to people even blacker than me, that gives away the history and tells us what happened. Or as an old black woman once put it to me, to sum it up, she said, white people don't hate black people. If they did, we'd all be, we'd all be black. But tell me, you got to face. I mean, you, the American Republic. We are your brothers, and you're disowned, you're disowned brothers and sons and sisters and daughters. You got to face that. There's a sense in which I don't think you answered my question, and we, no, we'll no. be back in a moment. Stay with us. Mr. Baldwin, I guess what I meant by not answering my question was this. You get a kind of simple idea of what Stokely Carmichael and H. Rat Brown mean, and it's maybe because we may not read their words in complete form, but we see them for a minute on the news, and they're yelling, get guns, burn, so forth. Um, and all I was asking really was, are you more moderate than that? in your present mood. And are they saying too much? Are they overmaking a point? Well, the point that they're trying to make cannot be overstated. I'm much older than Rapp, and I'm much older than Stokely. And to that extent, I can be called more moderate, I suppose. But on the other hand, the difficulty here is this. I can't, and Martin Luther King said this too in another way, I can't really ask um, a black boy younger than, let's say, 20 years old, all right? 17 years old, 25 years old. There are two things I can't ask him to do. I can't ask him to allow himself to live on the terms bequeathed him by the American white people of this country. I cannot ask him to uh, allow the forces which rule this country, to emasculate him. I cannot do that. I won't do that. I don't, on the other hand, want to, will not either, you know, counsel a generation, you know, to go out into the streets to die. But there is nothing in the evidence offered by the book of the American Republic which allows me really to argue with the cat who says to me, they needed us to pick the cotton, and now they don't need us anymore. And now that they don't need us, they're going to kill us all off, just like they did the Indians. And I can't say it's a Christian nation. They were, your brothers will never do that to you because the record is too long and too bloody. That's all we have done. All your buried corpses now begin to speak. I can't depend on the American moral credit to save some of the people whom I love. But you don't have that moral credit. You know, you told yourself, yourselves, and us for all these years, nothing but lies. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not interested in making an accusation. I'm not even talking about the past. I'm talking about the present. This is not an accusation. It is a plea for the life of this country. Because no matter what I say, no matter what Martin said, the despair in the ghetto, the despair throughout the country accumulates with every hour and people grow up much faster than you think they do. People are, people are uptight about Stokely now because he said black power. No one is concerned about white power, which is now wiping out Southeast Asia. No one is concerned about the white power, which keeps my children in, this, in the ghetto, which does not educate my children, except to become inferiors. This is power. And when the Republic reacts as it did to the linking of the two words, power and black, it's a confession 
or what the country has done with its power. Have you ever thought that there might be a basis for prejudice against Negroes specifically that is maybe deeper than anything anybody has said yet? I don't mean that I'm about to say it, but I mean by this, is it possible that you always have to deal with the prejudice against Negroes separately from almost all other racial prejudices. And has anyone ever offered a theory that it's something unrational, something subrational, some almost tribal, irreducible fear of the color black or something that, that may oh, put that kind of prejudice have, into another category? A great many people have suggested that. But I don't, I'm not sure that I entirely buy that. Um, I'm not, you know, I was lucky enough or desperate enough to live outside this country for a while. And I observed, you know, that if I walked down the streets of Paris or Stockholm or uh, Istanbul with, you know, Phillips, for example, nobody even noticed it. The only people I've known, the only people who really get uptight when they see a black boy working with a white girl example, Americans, and I've seen this a, th a thousand times, I've seen it once, we're walking down the street, she and I talking to each other, minding our own business, or I'm walking down the street by myself, and here comes, you know, somebody, you know, with his girl, and something happens in his eyes, something happens in his face, I don't, I don't want this girl, I haven't even seen him, you know, I don't care what they're doing, but something stiffens in him, some trigger goes off in him. As I'm going to steal the girl. Well, it isn't because I'm black. It's because you, people pay for what they do. It's not because I want to steal his girl. He's uptight about me walking down the street, or uptight about Phyllis and me walking down the street. He's uptight because of some buried guilt. He knows what he's done. People always know. They pretend they don't, but they know. I don't want to rape you no know, white women, but you know I know how many of my women have been raped. And I know by whom, and so do you. You know. Now, in fact, I, I don't think anything in, you know in the uh, in the black ferment of the black revolution really involves revenge or, or, or is vindictive at all. You know, it is the white imagination, the guilty white imagination, which makes which makes this out of it, and is this is this which paralyzed us in all our social activities. You know, it's the reason why no one has anything about the labor unions, you know, the schools, the, the situation of the people in the ghetto, nothing about the police who are very real menace to every black cat alive in this country. And no matter how many people say, you know, you're being paranoid when you talk about police brutality, I, I know what I'm talking about. I survived those streets, those precinct basements, and I know, and every black cat in this country knows what the policeman is really like, and furthermore, I'll tell you this, I know what he was like when I was really helpless, how many, how many beatings I got. And I know what happens now because I'm not really helpless, but I know, too, but if he doesn't, if I haven't got the presence of mind, you know, to do whatever I have to do, he doesn't know that this is Jimmy Baldwin and not just some other nigger. He's going to blow my head off just like he blows off all the other, everybody else's head. And this is done with the will of the state. And it can, uh, this cannot be overstated. Mm -hmm. It can happen to my mother in the morning, to my sister, to my brother. It's only now beginning to be born on you since it's happening to your heroes. What has happened all these years to us? For me, this has always been a violent country. There's never been a democracy. Right. Um, I do get the feeling that you overstate for rhetorical purposes sometimes. And when you say uh, the thing about the policeman, uh, the simple phrase once come to my mind, but there are some good policemen, in the sense that you, when you say, I could never vote for the Republicans as long as Nixon is in the party, or I could never vote for the Democrats as long as who, shall I say, Sen uh, Senator Eastland or? Uh, Senator Eastland, um, for example. Yeah, but that, that leaves no door open. There's no hope then. The door to what? I'm well, only, I don't, I, let, me, let me try to make it very clear. What I'm saying may be stated badly or awkwardly, but what I'm trying to say cannot be overstated. No tongue can overstate it. You know, it takes you a long, a long time to stammering to state, to state it. I, I agree. I, there's no eloquence equal to the race problem. And of course there but, are some good policemen, yeah. you know, uh, no doubt. Um, I, I just think by you, you risk being misunderstood by people who would be, pardon the expression, sympathetic by what sounds like too broad a statement. But you must understand, you must understand that part of what is happening here is a tremendous gap between uh, 
my experience of life, I'm using myself as a black man, right? And your experience of life, you as a white man, okay? Mm. And you say sympathetic, for example. But you overlook, you know, I hate to put it this way, because I sound like I always take one too, that I, historically speaking, have lived here with your sympathy. You now, for a very long time, it may have occurred to me now that if I could live with your sympathy as long as I have, I can possibly live without it. I mean, I want your sympathy anymore. Maybe I can't afford it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about individual policemen. No doubt Nixon loves his children. I'm talking about the structure which these people work. Yes. Policemen in the ghetto are not there, no matter what liberal newspapers may say. They're not there to protect my life. They're there to protect your property. Stay with us. Stay with us. We'll be back after this message. I've been listening to that clip kind of over and over uh, before the announcement of the lack of charges against Breonna Taylor's killers, and I think I'll be listening to it over and over afterwards. I think it's, as I said, I think anyone who has a platform on, <laughs> on little 7 to 8 p.m. on Fridays on KCIA or, you know, someone in the news media or anybody needs to be talking about this and needs to be addressing it and it feels disingenuous to really cover anything else at the moment for me so I wanted to make the space to do so and to let Mr. Baldwin educate us on the history of what has been and what still is so thank you for listening to that well we're winding down the hour here, and we're finishing up. Talk a little bit about what's ahead. We have some really good programming coming up. Uh, this is a, this will be the anomaly, uh, this first episode. Um, further episodes will have guests, and we'll be doing a lot of cross-conversation uh, with the continued advertisements that I know you love so well. And I think as, before we wrap up, I think we do have to take one more ad break, and then we'll be right back. Stay tuned, wrap up show's conclusion, and one more musical performance coming up. Now this dollhouse is an antique. How can you tell? No pampers. Pampers? I was thinking of trying a newer brand. Why? Dryness is what quilted pampers are all about. Pampers Susan wore when she was born were good, but these quilted pampers stay twice as dry. Twice as dry? Sure. Wet both and wait. Quilted pampers stay twice as dry. Dryer's got to feel better. Sure does. And that advice is on the house. <laughs> quilted pampers stay twice as dry as before. I like the implication there, if you caught it, that one of the people talking is wearing pampers. It's the dryer has to feel better. Sure does. I think the sure does is, oh, I was talking about for the baby. But, well, I mean, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so where does that leave us? Well, I didn't talk about one more thing that happened along the Magic Lantern Show's run. After running the show for a few years, I got a call randomly once, and... It was a, a person introduced themselves and said they're from NBC, and they're interested in the Magic Lantern show. Could you could you tell us more about that? And we talked, and they were interested in sending someone out, uh, and that was a crazy experience. And you have these moments in your life where you feel like, well, maybe I'm onto something, and that was definitely one of those. Um, and so here it is again, the Magic Lantern show. Obviously, those NBC talks did, didn't come to fruition, but, you know, maybe they will this time around. NBC, if you're listening, this is not an indicative uh, example of the program. Please choose another episode to listen to. But also, you know, hi, what are you doing? Anyway, uh, 
I think to wrap us up here, I think we're going to do one more musical number uh, from Alex Schaff and Yellow Ostrich. You know, things are better in threes. So here's the third song from them. I Think You Are Great by Yellow Ostrich. <laughs> everyone for listening i hope you stick with us next friday 7 to 8 p.m i hope you have a wonderful week as best as can be had given the present circumstances and good night everybody